Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piskor. And we are very excited to be joined by Sir Brian Boland today to look at one of his big books, Batman, The Killing Joke with Alan Moore. We're going to go through page by page here today with Brian Boland. Um, you guys may know him from his cover work all over comics history. Starts out in 2000 AD, recently with the big Apex edition of Judge Dredd in 2000 AD art, uh, recently seeing print. One of the amazing pen and ink artists that I have ever seen. Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. Welcome back, Brian Boland. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. Before we crack into this, um, I did want to just uh, kind of follow up because we spoke to you before, and at the time, that Apex edition of Judge Dredd had not been released yet. An absolutely no. stunning, beautiful book. We've looked at it on Cartoonist Kayfabe. How do you feel about how it turned out, Brian? Um, very pleased. I, it, it's, I'm, you know, there are a few omissions. You know, there are a few pages that turned up after the book was uh, printed, which is always a shame. Um, but um, it couldn't be done, done better. Yeah, the reproduction in that is absolutely spectacular. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about before we dive into The Killing Joke is I saw you are doing a cover for another artist edition style book for Carol Day. Yes. And I am not famo very familiar with Carol Day as a comic strip. No, I you, no, no you wouldn't be. Uh, it, um, Carol Day was drawn by David Wright in the 50s and 60s in, in a newspaper, the Daily Mail, I think it was, and just... Well, it was an English newspaper, so it, you probably wouldn't have seen it. But gradually, more and more people are getting aware of uh, David Wright's work. Um, Illustrators magazine featured him in their second edition because he was a kind of a pin-up artist um, in the 50s. But then he moved into this newspaper, daily newspaper strip. And I was collecting, snipping it out of the paper in 1965 when I was 14. Um, and I've always loved his work, and I think people are catching up to that. Would you say he was an influence on, on your own art? Um, well, yes, actually. I mean, there, uh, to some extent, uh, I'd, I'd draw the actress and the bishop. It's <laughs> my own pet project. And uh, there was one panel in particular from an issue. Uh, from, I've got a little, a few pages of artwork of Carol Day by David Wright. And there was one panel, which I didn't know you were going to ask me about. So, I, you know, if I'd known, I would have got it ready but um there was one panel that was beautifully lit he was a master of lighting um uh, and i did my almost well it was an homage to that panel uh, on one of my uh, actress and the bishop panels so to that extent he was an influence yes i would say he was because yeah. it, it was in black and white you see so the work we were doing when we started out was always in it was in black and white so we had to know about tonal values and chiaroscura and all of those things. And so people like uh, David Wright and Jesus Blasco was another artist, a Spanish artist who uh, influenced me quite a bit. I know, had to know about. After our conversation uh, last time, I, uh, we were on some travels. We went to go see a Jim Starenko art show and, and uh, stopped off at a comic shop and saw some uh, Steel Claw comics at the, yeah. uh, at the comic shop and grabbed some of that Jesus Blasco stuff just just on the strength of your recommendation and there was actually a particular drawing inside of a killing joke that that made me feel the uh the Blasco vibes a little bit it's it's when Barbara is in the uh hospital bed um sort of emoting to to uh Batman 
there's this lighting on her face when she's freaking out right here this image it gave me that oh, yeah. uh, blasco vibe a little bit oh really no yeah. no blasco used a lot of photography in his work uh, not a thing that appeals to me a lot of the time but you can see that um he's working from photographs he's also he also had quite a few ghost artists uh, if you look through the body of his work some of it isn't as good as others i, th I believe he had a couple of brothers who helped him with his work but um yes i, I mean if anything foliage you know if ever i need to draw foliage i, I look to Jesus Blasco's foliage i see more than more than his faces i see that's fun. So uh, we should start at the beginning by saying there are a few versions of Batman the Killing Joke that exist. We're going to be looking at one of the um, one of the initial versions here. Um, I have this black and white version, which I highly recommend to anybody at home. This was a surprise to me. I didn't catch this when it first came out, so it's new to me. It's spectacular. Like the work looks so good. You talk about black and white and chiaroscuro. Um, it really yeah. shows off in here. It's a really nice addition. Great reproduction of your line art for anybody at home that hasn't seen it. Which is, that's Batman Noir, the killing joke for the podcast listeners out there. Yes. Um, and there's a, a third version that has been recolored. And we don't have that one here, unfortunately. But I thought um, that might be something as we go through, you know, we're basically going to go page by page, Brian, and, you know, point out anything, anything that comes to mind to you. Um, you know, if there's stuff that, you know, you think of that this is something that you wanted recolored or... Leading off as the impetus, like like uh, it's recolored. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts behind that recoloring? Um, well, um, I spent two years drawing these pages. Well, I wasn't working on them all the time. I was doing other things at the same time. Um, and I had distinct ideas of how the colour should look. I, I'd, I'd recently been very impressed by um, Richmond Lewis's colouring in Batman Year One, and I wanted something like that. I loved that. And in particular, the flashback scenes, I saw them in monochrome. Um, so I, I didn't, at the end, there was not enough time for me, for me to do the blue line colouring. So um, uh, John Higgins very kindly stepped in to do the colouring. and. And then I just waited to see how it would turn out. And um, Titan Books uh, were doing a kind of co-printing, printed version of it. And uh, and they were just up the road from me. And I heard that they'd got copies of the very first edition of Killing Joke. And so I rang them up and said, but how does the coloring look? And um, somebody there said, well, it's kind of garish. Um, did I already tell you this story? No. Um, <laughs> And I said, Garish, what do you mean? Um, and eventually I managed to get a, a hold of a copy and I was just not pleased at all. I was very, very, very upset with the way the coloring, the, the, the scenes that I considered, I, I thought ought to be like a razor head. You know, the, I was very keen on that film, black and white film, um, were in orange. I just couldn't work out why it was like that. It was the very opposite of Richmond Lewis's muted colors. And I'm afraid I hated it. I became quite ill at the thought of it, and I, I just took to my bed for two days. Um, so when 20 years later they were going to do a sort of so-called deluxe edition, I said, can I recolor it, please? Because I, I now have the computer to work to do the coloring, and um, so I colored it the way I always intended it to look, as best I could. How long did uh, that take the, you to recolor it? Uh, well, I did about a page a day. 
Uh, it was over Christmas. It, uh, it, was, it was during the month, you know, a few weeks before Christmas. And then they said, we're, we're in also including that little eight-page story of an innocent guy, which I wrote, Andrew. Would I like to colour that too? And I said, oh, God, that's, that'll take me over Christmas Day. Um, so um, it was, felt, well, I mean, for me, quite quick, really. That's would how long you, it took. Would you draw this art? at the typical dimension scale of a DC comic at that time, which in American terms is uh, 11 inches by 17 inches, uh, 10 well, by 15 I, image area. Well, I have the, the artwork here for um, the, the innocent guy. So I, 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 I haven't put a ruler against it, so I can't actually um, tell you the measurements. So, but you get an idea from looking at it. So what would you say? Is that Yeah, that looks... Up? Yeah, that looks about right. Uh, that's amazing to see, wow. by the way. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And that's that's practical artwork? That's not a print-up? Like uh, you no, weren't doing stuff digitally? No, no, this was pre-digital. This is all artwork. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's amazing. Thank you so much. What a treat. I've got about four of these. Mm. Get that? Yes. And you're using and some zips and stuff on that, huh? Some... some uh, um, yeah. Yes, I was a big user of what we call Letratone. Yes. Uh, which you call Zippertone. Um, is this going to come out well on oh, the Oh, beautifully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't even question and it. I'm, and I remember what you said um, that um, in the previous interview we did, um, if I was showing some artwork to the screen and then you started talking, the camera would cut to you and you would be able to see the artwork. So you were sort of apologizing for going quiet every time I had some artwork. We, we solved that with this particular thing. Yeah. Also, uh, a lot of that artwork is breathtaking, so... <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I was very pleased with it. I mean, if, some, if somebody were to say, what's your favorite ever piece of work, I would probably say this is, because it's all me. I can't, you know, I can't blame or credit anyone else for it. On that, on that Batman piece uh, that you just showed, um, yep. you use, use, use Lettertone on uh, the cape. What did you use to chip the dots off? Uh, Exacto Blade? Oh, it will be a scalpel, a surgical scalpel. I, I tended to use that. Amazing. Uh, and another, uh, another thing, because I use Zippertone, or Letratone, so extensively, I think when I was recolouring it, somebody at DC had to go to the trouble of removing a lot of the zip, Zippertone so that I could uh, fill that with colour. Ah, jeez. Yeah, it was done on a computer, so I, I can't show you the, the coloured artwork. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, what you've done is sold me a copy now of the deluxe edition. Absolutely. Like I realize I need that now to reference against all of this. I've got some nice, some of my favorite versions of this, this book are foreign editions like this one, which is Spanish, I think, um, from Planeta de Agostini. Is that, or is that Italian? I think it's Spanish, isn't it? And um, it's big. It's, a, it's bigger in size than the, um, the others, but uh, it does have my coloring in it. Now, um, I've also felt uncomfortable bringing this up because, of course, it's not nice for, for John Higgins for me to say I really hated his work. Um, and I, I've, not, I've not been in, in his presence for quite a few years, 30 years or so, but I was recently at a convention with him and um, sitting next to each other on a panel. And uh, it was a little bit frosty at times, but in fact, somebody brought a, <laughs> to his table a copy of the recolored um, 
Killing Joke and asked him to sign in. He said, I'm not, I'm not in that one. So I, I think he's I feel a little like bit prickly. I feel like that person was uh, trying to put a little petrol on the uh, on the fire uh, a little bit. <laughs> bit. On the fire. <laughs> and, and also, uh, I want to just make shouts like John Higgins, his art rocks. Like I have a bunch of the 2000 AD progs and he was actually an artist. Like he's a he's a really good drawer. He's a terrific artist. He's, he, he really is. Uh, I mean, he colored um, Dave Gibbons' Watchman, So that was one of his big uh, deals, wasn't it? Um, um, but then to discover he's such a good artist as well as a, a, a colorist, yeah, it's the, good. The color approach to this cover is different than the interiors. Did you color this yes, cover? They they did um, because I couldn't possibly color um, forty six or so pages in the time. Uh, I said, well, can I at least color the cover? So uh, the the cover was um, painted or inked in color by me. Um, and, and so it does look a little bit more the way I would have intended the interiors to look. The the stuff I always would study as a kid getting this was seeing that it looked like a practical hand applying that white. And that's before I knew about like the blue line process or whatever. But I'm imagining the the um, the Joker's face. It, like, is that that's airbrush, huh? Yeah, I used a lot of airbrush. Um, uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to look at it on my book here. Uh, yes, that's airbrush. A lot of airbrush. Quite a bit of airbrush, actually. Um, there's very little um, just painted. I'm, but I'm trying to think here. It would have been done blue line, wouldn't it? It wouldn't have been done on... It wasn't a piece of full-color artwork. This would have been blue line, if you know what that is. Sure. Mm. Anyway. Oh, and uh, I will say that there are a lot of people who um, strenuously prefer... Uh, <laughs> strenuously prefer, uh, pref much prefer the original coloring because that was the edition they bought at the time. Yeah. They love the sort of psychedelicness of it, if there is such a word, um, and are really rather affronted by my version. So it, it does divide people. Um, it's a conversation for sure. Yeah, yeah it is. Been a handful of comics that have been recolored like that, and it does feel like it's always somewhat divisive, you know, and it probably is, like you say, which version did you encounter first? And then, yeah. you know, you, you have some connection, a nostalgic connection to that. Yes, that's right. And I will, I'll, I'll say another little thing. I've got another little niggle. Um, the After Watchmen, which had this rigid um, structure of panels, they were all, you know, there were none of these wonderful diagonal swoopy panels that Neil Adams was doing, for instance. It was all very rigid and square. Uh, and so I, well, because uh, I had a quick look through Alan's script just before coming on here, and he's so uh, precise about what he wants you to draw. There's very little left of the imagination. I couldn't believe, you know, having not read it for 30 years or so, uh, how he suggested everything. Hmm? And, you... uh, um, and, and I was just going to go on to say that so everything was very that way or that way. So when... Richard Brunning tilted that little logo because I, I I designed the whole cover with a with a rough version of that um, that little logo bottom left where it's not just a logo but all the credits it was in a square box like on the inside and then he tilted it he didn't ask me <laughs> I said why is it wobbly why is it sort of tilted over like that but uh, it was done by then and, and it was I in print. And I think uh, one of the places where you could see 
correct me if I'm wrong, the the Brian Boland version of like the sort of design would be in house ads. There there were a couple of house ads in the monthly comics that showed off uh, this cover and had kind of a hand lettered treatment for yeah. the the Killing Joke piece. That's right. Yeah, there is a a, a colored rough of of that cover somewhere with the original square. In fact, I was hoping it was, I was hoping very quickly to find. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah, there's a small reproduction of it there. That was my. Can you? Is that coming across? There yes, absolutely. That? Along with the, the great the, reference shot. Yeah, uh, there's my ugly mug in there. <laughs> and and take so a look at that, people, because uh, it's not one for one. You like look at the fingers on the camera. Uh, I just want to dismiss people thinking that you might have traced off the imagery. The fingers are in different places. Like it's just a, a reference. Um, I think you're right. You see, the thing is, um, the mirror, uh, the, if you reverse, if you're looking at a camera in the mirror, it's in reverse. So the, the uh, what would you call it, the button uh, is in the wrong place. So I had to pretend to be hitting the button with the top hand. Whereas, in fact, I was using my thumb to hit the button. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> anyway, there you go. All the details. All right. Shall we begin? That's how we do it here. Okay. I shall turn to mine for reference. My Planet Agostini version. Oh, uh, one question, Brian. Uh, based on the Alan Moore script that you were describing, do you know if he had done sketches uh, in the process of writing that script? It's something that we see sometimes where he is... Um, you know, he'll, he'll kind of do rough sketches almost as part of his scripting process. Do you know if that's something that he did with The Killing Joke? No, I, I've got, uh, they, in this absolute edition, they've got Alan's script in here, and it's very heavily described, written, but there's no drawings in there that I recall. Brian, is that the complete script in there? Because I might have to buy that before <laughs> we release this video. <laughs> yes, if you look, the those kind of zebra stripes, um, that is his script. Oh, I'm um, buying that. And the plain <laughs> pages are the art, so there's more there's more pages of his script in there. I, I think the whole thing is complete, and it, it was owned by Joseph Melchior, who's a pal of mine, and uh, um, he had to scan them all in. And some of, some of them are a little bit faint, and the... The, you know, the, it was done on a typewriter, you see. So, uh, but there you go. Yeah, it's worth having. It's fairly expensive, but it's a terrific book. Amazing. Mm. Yeah, wow. So uh, cool revisiting that iconic image at d various angles and things. Yes, yes. That's, uh, I mean, I again came up with this idea. They wanted some extra, because it comes in a box, you see. Yeah. Um, so there had to be something um, different when you got on the inside and so uh, I thought well let's see him from the side the other the other side of him wasn't so easy to do because most of his face is, is obscured and uh, his elbow takes up most of the room but uh, I, I had to draw the two roughs with kind of lines kind of construction lines going across so that you know the eye level on this cover lined up with the eye level on this cover if you see what I mean that's absolutely amazing precise yeah. absolutely precise I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you another thing. Uh, throughout this whole thing, all these little bits of lettering um, on the camera say Joker in several languages. I think somebody pointed out that originally it was in Polish. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Really smart. Uh, 
I think there's Hungarian on there and various other languages. Would, yeah. would you have uh, drawn those pieces digitally? Like enough time has passed where you're, you're full digital? Oh, yes. The, 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 these were done uh, in Photoshop. Yeah. yeah but this is full digital. So I'm hoping you can't really tell the difference. No. Because uh, I'd, I'd hate for, you know, the computer just to... to just look like AI or something. Yeah, that, I mean, that was the magic of discovering that you you transitioned to digital because it still looked like uh, it's Brian Bolland's hand very clearly. Uh, still, yeah, I hope, I hope. Well, except for the occasions when I do actually put in bits of collage photographs, yeah. which I, you know, I have done from time to time. Right, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Basically, you know, call out things as we go. If there are things that you remember, you know, one thing I always wonder were you using templates or anything for rain? This is going to be a motif we see several times. And I mean, they're like perfect ovals. It kind of blew my mind. And, and in that case, what would the white media be to, to get I, this? Ah, the white media. Now, the thing is, I never used white media. I drew, um, I, I used um, an oval draw, an ellipse of templates for various things. And I would draw them in pencil. Um, and I would ink the black. Wow. I really hated using whiteout. So uh, I'm just looking at it on here. So whenever possible, I always, um, yeah, those circles of rain, I don't know whether it looks better this way. Does that look any good? Yeah. Um, that, that, would, that would be me drawing the black bits and not the white bits. Now, the exception the exception to that is that the rain is was done by scratching with a scalpel yeah you could see the ink get actually I'll do it this way you could see you could see the ink being lifted off of a oh uh, you can can you yeah yeah with the with the scalpel to give you those like little drizzle drops yeah there might have been a little bit of white I, uh, I haven't got the artwork here it's been all been sold I'm afraid so I can't really if there is a little bit of white on there then you know, I've got it wrong, but uh, I, I try to use white. Starting with panel one, though, like I always felt like it, that was a statement because, and that statement was, even Brian, like Brian Boland isn't even going to cheat doing raindrops. Like he's going to, he's going to be the same precise level of craft he has in everything else. Something as incidental as raindrops that any other buddy else would throw down all black and just use a white out pen or something. Like, Brian Bolin is not going in that direction. <laughs> and it starts off in panel one. We, get, we have, like, these, these silent, uh, like, nine-panel grids of just movement, but so much acting, you know? You see this cop that's either first time he's ever seen Batman, or he's impressed, or he's nervous being in the presence of the guy, and it's written yeah. all over his face, which is also uh, another piece of, that I love about your work, Brian is how you can be remarkably precise with, with the, the artwork in terms of uh, the drapery, in terms of bone structure and where everything is, but you allow, a, there's a secret X factor in your work that allows for a little cartooning, a little acting, and it, and it prevents the artwork from ever being stiff. Oh, good. Mm. Were you using any screen tones on any of these pages? Like some of these vertical lines feel uh almost mechanical you know they're, they're kind of perfect oh. and even like the diagonal lines and the top of that first uh page are these all hand drawn um no i'd, I'd use a repeatograph and a ruler uh, i mean the um the the, the lights so i was going to point at your screen now that wouldn't work would it <laughs> uh, the, the, 
where the where the Batmobile is is turning up. I, I'm using a lot of um, you know straight edge rulers. You call them rulers, um, and a repeatograph for those those sorts of lines. Yeah. Yeah. The and, and the and, and the one well, and the bars of two faces a cage, for instance, cell. Yeah. It's all it all has to be drawn uh, with a repeatograph with a, a ruler. I feel like the rapidograph is uh, reason enough to go digital. <laughs> it's a tough tool. Really? <laughs> and then, and then, like you look at this, and there's blunt edges, like soft edges, curved edges on the playing cards. Uh, yeah, cool. This is very technical stuff. <laughs> We're a very technical channel. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining um, some screen with the light hitting the wall to create that kind of luminescence. The spotlight. Yes, I, yes, I can see some um, letter tone there with the just under the light. I would have scratched it out almost completely with the scalpel. Yeah, under that that light overhead light. Yes. Inside this, uh, the deluxe edition is the um, the pencil version of that uh, that panel, that page, in fact. Uh, so, and you get to see the whole of Batman's body. I draw his buttocks and everything. <laughs> right, right, like because uh, you need to know where that cape is going to hit. That's right. You need to know where his leg starts, really. I love the yeah. little detail of Batman grabbing the chair. You know, when Ed yeah. talks about your figures not being stiff but having a real kind of lively movement, that speaks to that kind of life. You know, that that feels very real. Reaching out for yeah. your chair to pull over. I'm going to sit down on this. Very natural. I think so. I mean, I always like to know what people are doing. You know, I, I, I may have said this to you before, but when an, an editor says, give us an action shot, I I can't do those generic sort of, you know, kind of Hulk-like generic shots. I, I need to know what people are doing. Um, uh, and uh, somebody was once talking about a Justice Society cover, I, uh, a trade paperback cover I, I did, and saying that, it looked pretty stiff, and that's because I was just trying to do one of those pow kind of uh, poses, and I'm just not very good at that kind of thing. Some of the greatest hands ever drawn in comics, and seeing the anatomy, and very Brian very clearly understands the bone structure and tendons and stuff underneath that skin. Well, yes, as I said to you before, you know, I do... <laughs> <laughs> I have the reference available. <laughs> right. but, but one thing I realized recently was that somebody was talking about drawing young women. And it was a male artist. And he was saying that uh, it's very difficult to draw a young female hand if, you, if you're not a young female. And I realized that uh, uh, when I've drawn Wonder Woman, for instance, I'm using my own hands. And I really ought to get a young woman's hands to, I, I... to, to draw. I've shaken a lot of cartoonist hands, and it's not too far. <laughs> it's not too far away. Okay. <laughs> not too much heavy lifting, not much sheetrocking uh, bathrooms in the career of a young cartoonist these days. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I, my hands are one of my strongest features, actually. I mean, the things I, the things I draw. I, do, I think I once said to Mike Barr, I do good hands, don't I? He said, really? Uh, Mike wrote Camelot 3000, and we hadn't really noticed. Brian, that, that, that brings something up, man. Jimmy and I were talking beforehand. I wonder if, when you look at these pages, uh, mm. I'll put it this way. Whenever we look at our old works, 
we see so many flaws and just like, oh man, I would have done this, I would have done that. Uh, this is a remarkable comic. Like, does Brian Boland look at his old work and go, ah, oh, why did I do that? That head's too small. Like, are, are you criticizing yourself on each of these pages or you, you stand by the work wholeheartedly? Oh, actually, I mean, I don't look at this thing very often, but since um, I knew we were doing this, I got the, you know, this, this edition out and uh, looked through it and was occasionally I look at it and I'm rather impressed by it <laughs> because I probably wouldn't be able to do it today. Um, I, 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 yeah, I think it looks okay. I mean, there are a few panels, if I go through the whole thing, that I think are a bit weak, um, but there are others I think that are rather strong. So uh, That's so good to hear. Hmm. When you get into this amusement park, did you have to yeah. start, um, did you have to add to your morgue file? Was it like, okay, I've got to go find all the amusement park reference that that is out there? Well, it just so happened that when I was doing this, there was that amusement park was in Hampstead Heath in in London, and so I went there with my camera. And um, th there's a, a a kind of clown in a kind of box in a sort of glass thing, and you put money in, and he kind of does this and laughs. I don't know whether you've had had those over there. Yeah. Um, they had they had one of those at this particular fair, and uh, I, I used him in the. I think actually Alan asked. They were called the Laughing Sailor, um, but in my case, this this thing looked really creepy. I thought, and he was just a clown, and I thought he was suitable. Um, but I found him at the, this particular fair. Now there is another thing. Um, we have a helter. Do you know what a helter skelter is? I don't know. Ah, well, that tall thing, I'm pointing at the screen, that doesn't work at all, but um, that yellow, that thing there, you climb up the middle of it, up some stairs, and it's just, it's just a, a slide, basically, and you go down it in a spiral on a mat, and it's called a helter-skelter. That's fine. Like, like the Beatles song. Have you heard the Beatles song? Yes, sure. That's where it comes from. Also, I believe you don't have ghost trains, do you? Maybe we call it something else. Yeah, maybe. What would you call that? Uh, describe it. <laughs> well, it's it's a it, the whole thing is a travelling fairground fair, and all of these it, these things and rides and things all have to be built. Sure. Um, and then at the end of it, they all have to be taken down again. And the ghost train is just basically you go, you sit in a little truck, like in the story, in fact. Yeah. And, uh, you go into the dark and ride a, a, um, a, along the rails on this little truck, and then ghosts jump out at you. Yeah, we, yeah, we do, we definitely have that stuff. Uh, they're they're called pretzel cars here in the states. Oh, yeah, I've never. Heard. Yeah. Okay, but somebody said that you know I nobody would know what a helter skelter was or a ghost train, but uh, maybe the helter skelter. But you have the equivalent of the ghost train. Yeah, we got an old amusement park here that has a bunch of that stuff. Real quick, Brian, uh, did you do the the hand lettering on the signage and things, or was that Richard Starking? Um, I must keep the bright page open so I know what you're talking about. Um, fat, see the fat lady, two-headed baby, off in the background. It's the same that, line as as the poster line. It looks. I, if I had to guess, it's you. I think it's me. Yes, it is. Now I'm looking at a Spanish edition, so it's all been redone. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very difficult to get that. Although it says "pay in the car," that's still in English. Yeah, I, I would have done that, I guess, because you know it didn't have to be, um, you know, really, really good lettering, did it? So I did that. 
Now with our video, brace yourself, Brian, because we're going to the first uh, retrospective sequence and it is not in a monochrome. And off the bat, I mean, I feel your, I, I see your argument oh. easy. Like, like you set that color palette completely different and, and, you know, it's different, but like, it's too subtle for what it is compared to like what Richmond Lewis did where she would just have pure magenta sometimes. Yeah. I mean, can you see this? This is my version here. So, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. Like old time movie type thing. I mean, what I, well, yes, I mean, it was, it was supposed to be like Eraserhead and, and my uh, initial idea was to have these little, little bits of color, these weird sort of bits of meat um, popping out of this bowl and, and also the, the, the fly paper. Do you know, do you know what fly paper is? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's sticky paper that you hang from the ceiling that flyers get stuck on and yeah. that's in orange. So there were just, it was supposed to be a monochrome, um, but with sort of hints of color, which increase as the flashbacks go by um, when the red hood comes into it. Yeah. So you brought up the eraser head. Was uh, this like young Joker? It, was he going to have the eraser head? Like, is is that an inspiration for his hairstyle here? No, I don't know. I don't recall. I mean, we'd have to go through the script to see whether Alan actually describes his hairstyle. But um, so it could have been his idea, or it could have been mine. I, I don't actually remember. But there was no. Uh, the only eraser head connection was this the the monochrome. Uh, that I wanted to have on those pages. There's so much subtle stuff going on too with the set piece of it. Like, look out this window, you're staring at a brick wall. Yeah. You know, that's not Trump Tower. Yeah, I was admiring, like, even the photograph in the background. Oh. You know, it, it is loaded with these details. Pipes. Like, they are getting the cheapest apartment in that facility. There's all kinds of pipe work. You know, yes. you, you might got one table that you, you guys were able to cobble together. Yeah. No lampshade on the light bulb. Like this is, you know, it's a, a poverty house. That's right. Yes, that's right. And um, yeah. Always uh, love this character. Yeah. The little neighbor superintendent. Oh, the old lady with the one. The <laughs> old lady with the one-eyed cat. Yes. Yeah. There she is. Uh, I don't know why. I was always quite good at drawing old crones. I did, did an old crone in Munden's Bar once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great uh, strip. And uh, this mm. this story is rife with that period of Alan Moore's writing where you have the transition sequences from panel to panel when, when you're breaking out of scenes. So we have the smiley Joker lady uh, as it dissolves into modern day Joker. And look at that. There's your monochrome into color. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, that was very, very um, um, organized by Alan. It, 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 you know, he described that fairly thoroughly so that a lot of these transitions from past to present um, are, are very much echoed in the, you know, the before and after panels. Yeah. Did you deviate from the script at any point or did you and Alan have any disagreements where you thought, let's do a scene this way or let's break down panels a little differently? Um, no, uh, after he s started working on it, he went away and wrote it without any input from me at all. Um, he rang me up once in the middle. Of, uh, he rang me up and said he was in a bit of a crisis with it. And I think the crisis that he was in with at the time was to do with his relationship with DC Comics, which had really broken down. And I 
in retrospect, I, I sort of think he was might have been ringing me up to say he was going to pack in and not finish it, but he very kindly carried on to the end and finished it. Um, but no, um, no, we didn't have any disagreements at all. I, I was a little bit shocked to find what he'd done to Barbara and, and Commissioner Gordon. I, you know, um, it was pretty... But, uh, you know, I think he wanted to take the Joker one step further than he'd been taken before by, you know, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams and people like that into doing something really very bad. Um, he asked permission to from DC to to do that to her because he put her in a wheelchair for some years, didn't it? This is one of my favorite pages of nonverbal storytelling uh, that even as a kid, when I first got hold of this book, I just studied studied endlessly. The the approach with the Joker, you have you have uh, you know the regular human sitting on the back of that little elephant, and just the subtlety of the storytelling in that second panel where you see these silhouetted hands about to shake, and you see just the barest glimmer inside that dark pool of Joker's hand, just like it could be just a piece of, uh, you know, it was uninked or something. But then the next panel is the reveal. You see the buzzer. Yeah. And uh, our guy is immobile. We're seeing him from the back. He's not moving. And then you have the final reveal and you see the Joker face. Look at what Brian did with the face. He he made it white with the, with the red lips as opposed to the, yeah, the old version. Yeah. I must say, I do find that um, final panel on the right-hand page, ooh, it's way too garish for me. The, the green and the purple. Why is it so green and purple? <laughs> would, this, would this piece up here be a paste-up from, like, some Dick Sprang thing or something? You're closing this bloody book. Um, no, that was not a paste-up. That was actually me, because um, I was a huge Dick Sprang fan. I've... Um, so, so I, I pretty much um, tr- traced that from the back of one of the annuals from the 60s, I think. I will actually just take something off the wall here. If oh, it will come very excited. <laughs> um, now, I don't know whether you'll get a lot of glare here, but that's... Uh, Beautiful. That's, that's something... Did I show you that before? No. Wow. Thank you so much. That's a stunning that's, um, piece. I had um, a fellow called... Um, Wally Harrington, I think his name was, who was an artwork collector, and he knew um, Dick Sprang, and he told Dick Sprang that I was a big fan of his, and uh, Dick very kindly did that. Look at that. That's one of my greatest uh, treasures, actually. That's really beautiful. And and his inking just got better with age. Like In those 90s, when when they had him do some of the uh, Two-Face Strikes Back or whatever covers, the precision is like Charles Burns lines with that brush. yeah. In fact, he wrote a letter to go with this, and he was we were just talking about lines, basically. <laughs> he said he liked my lines. Anyway. What a piece. Thank you so much, Brian. Right. I've closed the book again, of course. <laughs> Is it useful to hold up these pages to the screen for comparison? I suppose it, it can't hurt, can yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's great okay. to see it. I, I, I wish that we had one of those editions to be able to pull out, you know, in reference. But uh, it's awesome that you have that available and, and handy. You need to buy one. That's I true. Need more <laughs> I need more. <laughs> I need more royalties. I feel like this episode's going to sell a few extra copies. Yeah, I think so. Uh, 
you know, Higgins has the, the palette for his Batcave, and then we, we do have a different color palette here, Barbara Gordon in kind of her colors, right? Like, like uh, Yvonne Craig yeah. from, from the, uh, the Batman 66 show. It was yellow and, and purple. Was it? Pretty mm. sure. Now, when you get on to um, that second page there, um, I, um, I, I was very dissatisfied with uh, the face I drew. So if you, uh, if you look at, uh, at that, uh, you'll see that I redrew the face. So when you're working on a, um, in, in Photoshop, you, uh, uh, when, when you're coloring in Photoshop, you can also just change the line around. That's so beautiful. I, I thought I, I slightly improved the face there. Are there? Uh, did, fact, you, did you do a bunch fact, of that? that? I'm sorry. Did you do a bunch of that in this book? Oh yes. Yeah. There are occasions when I just change bits just to see whether anybody could spot the difference. Um, in one scene, which I can show you, uh, one of the characters acquires a pair of glasses. Um, I, I'd have to go through it to remind myself where the changes occur, but they, they, they are there. This is the difference between an artist and a guy just doing a job, man, because I can't imagine DC gave you much more money to, to do that. I, I It seems like you might have taken that upon yourself to do that without even questioning it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just I just got the color coloring rate. I can't remember what it was. That's the so. difference, my friends, when, hmm. when we have those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was my pet project, uh, The Killing Joke. I mean, it was me that wanted to do it, and I wanted Alan as the writer, and it wasn't the other way around. So it, it's, it was always a very, uh, you know, was, what is the word? Um, I was always, always very precious about it being, I thought it was going to be the best thing I could do. I wasn't going to get any better than this. <laughs> One of the other uh, key pieces to this three-page sequence with uh, Commissioner Gordon, Barbara, and inevitably Joker is uh, mm. pay attention to the scissors in, in Gordon's hand the entire time because there's sort of acting stuff happening the, the entire time. He's cutting stuff out in uh, the first page. And yeah. then we have Gordon advancing on Joker after the shot. You see the scissors in hand. But when the, the thug punches him in the stomach, boom dislodges the weapon yeah where are we i'm, I'm looking at it in reverse oh, here we are, yeah. <laughs> i'm getting a mirror image it's because uh, you know I, I, it's like i'm looking in a mirror it's like i'm actually yeah right um but I, that, that's the bit we're talking about isn't it uh, and again you see i think um, am i on the right page here yes, yeah I, yes. Am. Like, I think that's too pink i think um john's version of that is too pink it's me. very orange yes orange yeah it almost it, your recolor job makes this scene much more clear uh you know ed you're talking about scissors and it's like they really pop on yeah. the recolored version they're almost practically black against that light background and i look at this mm. and i think like do you color it in this somewhat monochromatic orange and pink to almost push the violence back down a little bit it feels like what? heat like emotion like it this does. Is, this it, is a fiery sequence. Yeah. Yeah, it's very. Uh, I find it more alarming in the recolor version. Yeah. Yeah, such a brutal drawing, right there, with the mascara yeah. running and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I I'm not a very subtle. I, I'm not actually very good at color. <laughs> I don't notice color. 
And my wife is a painter and she knows all about colour, but to me, the sky is blue, water is blue, Superman is blue and red. <laughs> but then these are colourists who can, can, can throw an ambient colour all over, the, uh, as like an atmospheric uh, uh, over things. I wouldn't know how to do that somehow. So, I mean, to me, she's got a slightly mauve oh, brown. Her skirt is that colour, her shirt is yellow, and everything. There isn't any sort of ambient light uh, changing anything here at all. He wears a brown vest, as you'd call it, and uh, so it's got to be brown. I don't know, really don't know why the Joker was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Brian, do you remember whenever you were drawing this scene, was it difficult to draw? Did it feel like sometimes I'll draw something and it'll be like, I need it for the story, but also it's 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 uh, painful to draw or, you know, it's a character obviously suffering or violence is shown there. Is that anything that you would react to in any of your art making? Um, well, as I said, I was a little bit shocked to find what we were doing to Barbara, uh, but I saw no reason uh to say no i'm not doing this <laughs> right and you know if it's a violent scene um it's gonna have to look violent yeah um, and um i'm not gonna um hold back on it uh, but i mean to some extent you i mean i i once said that it, doing this kind of thing you've got to be a little bit of a method actor so when i'm drawing the joker for instance i'm sort of almost pulling it, pulling the face <laughs> to, to draw the face. So to some extent, you've got to identify with Barbara in this moment. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, sir. The, uh, I feel like we should look at this page, this, this spread in black and white, because what's happening is we could show off so many different textures that Brian is bringing to the spread. So like I'm looking at like the mesh of this guy's shirt, I'm looking at this kind of wicker texture here. This guy's suit is different than that guy's shirt. We have the kind of Louis Vuitton pattern uh, of the handbag here. You're bringing so much to the table, plus lots of black. Uh, this this completely works as a black and white image uh, that well, yeah, doesn't yeah, need to yeah. have color applied to it at all. Well, that was my training as a British comic artist, you know, since we had, all of our work was, for Judge Dredd was in black and I did one story in colour, but they had to work in, uh, in black and white. So, uh, yeah, I had to, um, in, in doing this, I can't actually see the, oh no, <laughs> decline. It's John Higgins on the phone. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I forgot what we're talking about. Now it's thrown, thrown me completely off. Yeah, these these pages. And again, you see, this is um, a page that um, I kind of decolored. You see, so that only bits of it uh, are in are in color. You know, the the sort of uh, shrimps. Would you call those things? Yeah. And then, of course, finally, the bright red hood. I yeah, it's a good reveal for that red, hood. Red, yeah. Otherwise, monochrome page. Yeah. I love these uh, sh shrimps, by the way. There's great, great fun drawing the shrimps. And there's a very <laughs> cruel transition coming up, isn't there? Yes, yeah, sir. And uh, the, the, yeah. the, the texture on that wicker looked like 
such a challenge to ink, you know, like with with those line weights, and it's just perfect. Um, now the wicker, which is the wicker and the bowl. The, the bowl, the yeah, the basket, whatever. Yeah, whatever that thing is, yeah. Um, I, I did a... Let's see, let's see if I can find it. I re recently did this um, penguin cover, and I got into the wicker. <laughs> That's my chair. Oh, my there. goodness. Uh, you know, some artists are really, really good at, um, you know, action and muscles. And I'm really into texture. I love drawing, te finding a texture that's interesting and, and just getting into it. I mean, back in probably still even the 70s, there's that one 2000 AD cover with the spaghetti monster. And I remember oh. I remember staring at that close and seeing the lighting in between noodles. <laughs> that's right. So <laughs> that amazing. Would another, that would have been another occasion when I drew the black bits between the noodles and not the noodles themselves. Oh, absolutely. Like that. that's very clear there. Like, And it's like, this guy, he drew every noodle. And like, he didn't like <laughs> lose the noodles in between other noodles. Like he finishes the noodle. It's... I, I was very pleased with that cover, and I don't know whether the viewers are not going to know what we're talking about. I was very pleased with that cover, and I was at DC Comics um, in New York at one time, and somebody took a look at it and said, oh, another Italian stereotype. So I was rather crushed. Wow. But, See, but that, stuff was, that stuff was going on even in the 70s, but we could probably flash, flash an image of that up uh, ahead of time. Okay. Where are we now? We got the the hospital sequence, and I remember uh, seeing this face in, of Barbara when she's out and looking so close at it, because at that point I discovered Duotone, the existence of Duotone, and I'm like, ooh, maybe he used a little Duotone. Nah, this is Brian Ballin. That's all by hand. Uh, now, what are we talking about? What, what, uh, fir first panel of Barbara's face closed. She's got the little uh, Batman's hands touching her face, and like I was studying like those eyelids, and... Yeah. and uh, thinking as a kid like is that that same stuff the turtles guys use for their grays <laughs> but it's not that's that's hand done yeah i can't there's no um duotone on there at all it's just line yeah man. yeah i don't know yeah yeah we're getting another one of our alan moore transition sequences that would have been called out in the script where we see barbara's hands on the the bat cape you flip that page yeah and you got the most disturbing characters in all of DC Comics, man. <laughs> a bunch of Cupid doll. Uh, we call them little people these days, but they got a thyroid condition, and the pressures behind their eyes is severe. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, in the script, um, they were called Huey, Dewey, and Louie, which uh, I, we couldn't actually call them that, because I think they are Disney characters, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think uh, they were idea. I don't remember what instructions I was given about these little guys, but uh, um, I, I did. I have got in the um, deluxe edition, or not the, the absolute edition. There are, there are my original proposed, um, you know, proposals for the in pencil for these three guys. Uh, I don't know quite why they look like that. You know, they look like progeria people. And I remember in those, like, in the late 80s, when talk shows in America were huge, they would wheel out as many progeria people as they possibly could. And this, you know this disease? It's like it's like it advances your age by, like, 10 okay, years yes. for every year. Oh, oh, that. I didn't know. I know that condition. Yeah. I didn't know all that. Um, yeah. But that, yeah. That's sort of these these faces. But, th but this is another thing. Like, this, this rogues gallery of freaks and stuff. 
I mean, you got your 10,000 hours practice in on that with like Judge Dredd and, and like the Forbidden Planet creatures and yeah. stuff. Just Yeah. Well, also, I've got a, a copy of Todd Browning's film Freaks on the shelf. So I was very familiar with that. Have you ever seen that? Love it. Love it. When the guy lights a cigarette, no arms or legs. Oh, God. Prince Rambian. Yes. yes. Never forget uh, that sequence. That really disturbed me when I was very, very young. Because it was bad. I think that film was banned for about 30 or 40 years. Was it a British it? video nasty? Um, well, somebody decided that it was just not fit for sensitive folk to see so it was not a, it was not available for many years like clockwork orange i think was uh, stopped wasn't it for a long time because of your like realistic lighting realistic proportions all that stuff when you draw this disturbing shit it's kind of yeah. extra disturbing well i'm glad to hear it <laughs> <laughs> that makes me very pleased that, and, that you're extra disturbed and just place. like the uh the 2000 ad spaghetti conversation the shadows yeah. underneath all the Cupid dolls, that level of detail, yes. but it's still so clear. That's the thing. It's still so clear. You know, the, the exact right economy, you know, like you're very deft at, at doing hatching, but you're not doing ha so much hatching on those little dolls. You know that it's going to reproduce small and get lost in the oh, clutter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and by the way, that, um, those lights at the back there, that would have been Craft, we would call that craft tint, craft tint, which is, uh, it's not like lettered or zipper tone. It's, um, it's kind of white dots, which if you press uh, the, the back of the thing, the dots will come out on the paper. That's so amazing. So I, I, I sort of pasted the, uh, what did I just call it? Uh, craft tint. tint. Uh, craft tint or whatever it was called. Um, and and then I drew those kind of arches um, with a, the back end of a brush, I think, so that those uh, lights kind of stuck to the page, to the page. So that is an occasion when I'm putting white on black. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I would never guess that. that. Me either. I've mm. never heard of that. That's that's really no. cool. Um, I think it was called Crafting. Now you see, Crafting uh, might be the name of the duotone board you're talking about. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm, that's that's the company that uh, that mm -hmm. did the uh, duotone boards. Uh, yeah, but. Yeah, I digress. All those mechanical, like so much of that mechanical art stuff is just gone now. You know, any of the of the like the rub on or the adhesives or the cutouts, yeah. like you know, that stuff is such a of a bygone era. You know, you were talking the other day about um, a, a Judge Death um, poster I, I drew, and it had a lot of fluffy stuff, um, sort of smoky stuff around the bottom, and you were speculating about how I did that, and I used a kind of Hessian rag to do that um do you know what i'm talking about so uh, you sort of put a little you paint a little bit of ink on this hessian rag which you have in your hand right and then you sort of just dab it on the on the page and it uh, it gives you dots basically that you get from the texture of hessian it's it's yeah. it's so cool like because of the precision of your art and that seems like a little bit of a chaotic practice to to well, you have to use um uh, what was this called Frisket, frisk film, to mask out the bits you don't want to plaster. I see. Um, I mean, when you use an airbrush, uh, a lot of, a lot, m most of the time is spent uh, sticking that stuff on and, and cutting in round shapes. Um, right. And then, and then you use the airbrush. Yeah. 
It's no wonder we've all gone so digital <laughs> these days. Yeah, but then, then you don't got that sexy artwork to, 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 to put on a wall, though, man. The, uh, the, the foggy glass right mm. there, that texture... It's not a texture you use very often in this in this comic, but it's so effective. We all know what that glass is, and then when you examine it close and you just see those those marks, you know, show us what the heck we can accomplish with these tools. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that was that was a brush. I think that was all done with a brush. The uh, the acting on our on our hoods right here when the cops come by <laughs> is just fantastic. <laughs> Pulling the hat down. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I like I like the guy who's pretending not to be. Uh, involved in that and the other guy sort of pulling his hat down just trying to it's, teleport you... his face in the other room <laughs> yes <laughs> and you then... can imagine you can imagine that in a, in a kind of um film noir kind of a gangster movie couldn't you really all of this acting too like the detective who remains so stoic giving such bad news takes a drag yeah. on the cigarette lights it uh, yeah. just matter of fact man dropping the yeah. facts and then letting the guy deal with it that's right, yeah. Somebody said actually, somebody actually said that um, the the other guy with the the the, the other gangster with a more um, sort of sharp chin uh, looked more like the Joker than our guy from um, but uh, our guy who ended up as the Joker needed to look like a, a bit of a nobody. Go. Uh... My my friends and I, like, you know, born in 1982, grew up in that Nintendo era. We called these guys Mario and Luigi right here, man. You got the little fat dude with the bowler hat, and you got the tall, lanky fella. Yeah. There they are. Mario yes, that's right. The guy, the guy to the, on the right with the sharp chin looks more like the more jokery, doesn't he? Yeah. Really, but uh, he isn't. Yeah. This next page is something that, that I'm very excited to talk to you about. And it's something that I, we, we probably talked about off, off camera with, with friends and peers and things. Like where you have this Joker up on a screen and you create the, the sort of uh, interlaced lines that, that a cathode ray tube television would have had. But in the fourth yeah. panel there, we see those lines in perspective. Uh, yes. so, so, so how did you... Uh, accomplish that would this be would this be another letratone screen no this will be you know i'm i'm gonna have to guess uh they're very precise aren't they yeah uh, well the i would imagine i did on this occasion use white lines um could because i couldn't have got a got a screen that was in perspective, I think I would have had to have taped one end of the ruler on the right and sort of swiveled it gradually um, and, and drawn a white line with a ruling pen, with a technical pen. Amazing. Mm. Spent 10 minutes on that before we got this camera set up. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I'm right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was speculating it might have been one of those screen tones that radiates out from a center point. No, I would I wouldn't know where to find such a thing. Wow. That's mm. unbelievable. Well done. Oh, thank you. Ta. Ta very much. <laughs> so now we get now, to the real brutality. Yeah, yeah. Of the piece, uh, man. 
Yeah, my, mine is, is, is pink, but not quite as pink as John's version. Now, the thing is, um, there is a version of that middle panel where you get to see her topless. And it's it's in here. Sure. Like, you see her boobs right there. By the the uh... yeah, but the, the the central panel was was redrawn. Uh, it, it was a sort of top top half of her naked, basically um, lying on her back, and um, somebody called in, and um, so I stuck uh, that uh, um, piece of paper with another drawing on top. Um, although it is it, it it can be seen, I really don't know why. Um, since I covered it up pretty quickly, why the, the topless version of that is available occasionally? I can't, I couldn't say where. But yeah, yeah, it is a bit brutal, isn't it? The you lighting the on box. these faces and, and the way you constructed these faces—the uh, the the woman in agony, the the Jim Gordon stuff—just yeah. just amazing lighting, and you you really feel the emotion there. I must say, when I was looking at this this morning, and as I say, I don't look at this very often, um, I was rather pleased with that top right face of, of Gordon. Really solid. <coughs> yeah, it's amazing. Brian, replacing this middle panel, were you... Yeah. Um, like, occasionally I've had to make changes, you know, for editorial reasons, and, and I always think, like, okay, you've got to make the replacement better somehow. When you look at this now, do you wish it was the original image, or do you find this... Uh, are you happier with this this version? Um, I think this version works very well. If anything, it's more disturbing because you, uh, well, it's it's still going on. Uh, what's going on is still going on, and you just get to see her face. Now, I've said this occasionally, but um, the the cover of this thing is so familiar, and I don't think Alan told me what to do. I think the cover was entirely me. But it's a kind of a slightly funny, you know, smile and all that sort of stuff. But what's actually going on in that moment is the very worst moment in the story, isn't it? And you don't know that. It's a kind of a flippant. You think, oh, there's the joke over the camera. But it's only when you know what he's photographing inside that you realize that it's rather horrific, really. Yeah, man. You couldn't have that reflection in that lens, that's for sure. This is the yeah. part. We were talking about this comic earlier and the descent of, like, Taking, taking Gordon basically through Dante's Inferno here, man. You know, the seven stages. So each time he's going through this door, yeah. the, to my imagination, like, if this is the first thing that Joker shows him, it's just getting increasingly worse and worse and worse as they go through. Um, I hadn't really considered what was going on there. Really, it just it was just a way of showing that uh, he was going through this ghost train ride, as we call it. And uh, meanwhile, the Batman is trying to um, find him. In this very last panel, uh, we were talking about frisket not too long ago. Uh, and is this like a spatter where you use different friskets? Like, you know, you mask off the uh, yes. the uh, bat signal and then you take it off and then mask it the other way so that you could get the... Uh... This looks like toothbrush to me. Mm. Um, yeah. As you say, where is it? Uh, you you mask it off, and uh, and and then you uh, put uh, ink on a toothbrush and you flick it. Right. Um, that's a fairly common thing we used to do. Not just the and it's still a. Go ahead. Um, it, it's it's still a, an effect that I find very difficult to achieve on a computer. I mean, 
there's a lovely randomness about um, using a toothbrush and a speckle, a spatter effect, which you can't get on a computer. I've tried, and I, I've actually created several sheets of spatter, which I save as files in Photoshop, which I can uh, use as backgrounds on my digital work. Yeah, just a couple more examples of the the spatter technique on these pages. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Ed, with your reading of these levels being like you know worse and worse and worse, it really makes this sequence so much more disturbing to read it that way. Where it's like it's another page of going through level after level and after level. And how many? That's right? what I'm saying. Six. It's, uh... So the other one was seven, and then you spit out. It's a, it's the seven layers, dude. Oh. I'm telling you, like that was that was. If it's not in the script, man, I think I think that more was channeling that a little well, bit. Well, I've never considered that. There are seven levels. We've studied but this we're... thing meticulously. We're, we're <laughs> fucking nerds over here, Uncle Brian. <laughs> so what's, what, what are the seven? Is it seven, seven levels into hell? Or Something what? like that. How's it go? Yeah, is it, is it uh, circles? Or seven, seven, seven circles. Seven. Yeah. Is that Dante's Inferno or something? Yeah. Mm. No, okay. And then when he spit out, just a, just a shell of a man. Yeah. Yeah. By the, I, I always joked, and I might have said it on the uh, previous, but like when they put Gordon in the bondage stuff, and he's always cut off at the at the um, at the at the waist, or so you never see like the butt cheeks. Like I just imagine you could, and and the and the audience who has some drawing proficiency, they could run wild with this. But I, I just imagine what's happening on the other side, because I'm imagining they're flaying that dude in half in certain spots. I'm imagining they're jamming stuff into orifices. And, and, oh my like, god like uh, you're sick you're you're sick aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you've been thinking about all this stuff let's see that fan art yeah it, it feels like we don't need more of that in, <laughs> in this story yeah i'm just saying it's way more brutal than what you get to see inside the drawings all uh, right um what an amazing well, reflection having the the title yeah. of the processing plant backwards in the reflection like in that you know, toxic waste. It's even in perspective a yeah. little bit. Is that? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Look at. It. Oh, I was gonna say, did it flip around? And is it properly visible that way? Hmm. Yeah, it's even. Which one in, are you talking about? My, or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. But but yeah, it's even in a little bit of perspective. Uh, once again, is that lettering uh, your hand, Brian? It will be, but uh, yeah, it will be. Because I've got the Spanish edition, so it's oh, it's, it still says Ace, Ace Chemical, something. I feel like it would be sacrilegious, man, if they would try change that up and like destroyed some of your um, raindrops. <laughs> they have to leave uh, that. A lot of yeah. tech pen on these two pages with the with the backgrounds. With uh, all those um, pipes and 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 stuff, yeah, there must have been, yes, yeah, yeah, so clean. And, and, and as you see, gradually we're getting more and more red into the uh, monochrome pages. That was always my intention. Yeah. Yeah, really well done. You see a little bit of foreshadowing stuff. You see that spade on that barrel right there. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really looking at this properly for the first time in ages. So uh, I'm, it's looking quite fresh to me. Brian, we're so honored too. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, that's okay. Check out that Golden Age Batman, Jimmy. Mm. Look at that guy. <laughs> He's got that primitive, kind of Bob Kane-ish costume right there. Yes. Genius. 
Now, why has he suddenly acquired long ears? Did he have long ears throughout this? I think he was going through the long ear period, wasn't he? I think his Batman's ears got longer and shorter depending on whether it was Frank Miller or right. And, and this is and you know this is still that throwback. So this is before the Batman that uh, is running around in this issue already. But like, yeah, that that old Batman. They, they were trying. They were really trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That's such a good one for a monster. You know, like 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 if you think of Joker's perspective at this point when he sees Batman in that in that point of view shot, those big points really are monstrous, like satanic. On oh, the devil's coming. Yeah, like that's you're right. Seeing it in red. Yeah, and I was very, very I was very pleased with the the coloring on that panel. I, uh, not only did we get the red creeping into the the monochrome, but we get a little bit of green from the chemicals. Absolutely, man. And, you know, you're drawing there. Like, of course, everybody recognizes the very next page with the the Joker mania. But the gestures and the pose of the Red Hood crawling out of the chemicals, that yeah. is very sharp drawing. Great drapery on the back. Okay, you know, on, the, on the cape and stuff. So, Brian, did you draw these pages in order from page one uh, two, three, like that, or did you bounce around a little bit? No, no, I, I, I always drew things in order. I always do things in order. Okay, so you do that very first panel. See, that was a leading question. Like, if I was a uh, prosecutor or something, I'm setting you up because <laughs> because on panel one, so you're drawing all the black. I, I'm talking about panel one, page one. You're drawing all the black yeah. and not using oh. white ink on oh. these raindrops. That's right. Yeah. So when you do that. And then you get yeah. to this page, like that experience with panel one, page one, wasn't enough of a bitch for you <laughs> to then use some white on uh, the circles. Like you still had to felt in, you you had to use black and and just trace and color that way. Yeah, uh, that's Amazing. the way I, the way I did it. I mean, I don't know how I would. You see, white white out is very unpleasant stuff. It it doesn't behave like ink. Right. You don't have control. It's very chalky and very dry isn't it? Yeah. I don't think I'd have enough control to draw those circles in, in white with white out. Amazing. It's just okay. so fascinating to hear the double lighting like on that last face. That, that, that sort of makes that image, you know, that shadow from that nose on the teeth. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and when you make Joker at his craziest, it's the only time in a Brian Bullen drawing where you see all, all, all the white around the iris. You will see it a couple um, other times with the Joker at his most maniacal. Like you really save that. A lot of people will draw, you know, the complete white around uh, okay. a character's eyes, but that, I mean that's the most mani- maniacal it can get. Oh, I've seen some pretty maniacal Jokers in my time. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's looking pretty uh, scary uh, in various iterations of the Joker recently. Uh, I will say, um, yeah. I love your choice in your color version to do red is like seeping out of his eyes. I think that really sells like the chemical burns and, and just, you know, pain. Yes. Like that yeah, looks well, his eyes are ble- His eyes are bleeding, aren't they? So, yeah, it, it looks I, like I, that hurts it bad. It just seems, it does, it does. And then studying like, like the lighting of the hair in that image uh, is so sharp also. You know, mm-hmm. once again, it's, it's, the, it's the spaghetti, like just, that stuff that a lot of people consider incidental, like Brian Bolland is, he's lighting it all. If he's drawing it, 
he's being accurate with it. Even like literally even the buttons on the shirt and having though they're in pers proper perspective, you know, you're looking sort of down. So the down plane is darker that way. It's all um, there. You know, I said I, I tend not to paint white over black um, when I was using real world tools. But now now that I'm using a, a computer, I, I, I can actually put, you know, white over a lighter color over the top of a darker color. So in the case of the coloring of the hair, you know, I do like to add, it's getting blurry, isn't it? Uh, I do like, uh, there's a, there's a, well, it's got a name. It's got, it's basically a lightening or a darkening tool in Photoshop. And uh, I use the light, the, the lightening tool to go over the, the green hair to give it a glock, give it a shine. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Now that, now that I'm using Photoshop. And of course, you know, to remind everybody, all this was colored in Photoshop. Right. Uh, yeah. Brian, did Can't you remember. draw the, the ha-has in the background? Is that part of your original art or is that something that was added by letter? Do you know, I cannot remember. Looking at it, I'm having, they, they, they're very, very sharp, aren't they? I can't see any... Check out the next um, page too, because it's really incorporated into the artwork on the very next page, panel one. It is. I, I, I kind of think it was me, but Richard may be able to give us the definitive answer on that, Richard Starkings. Were you able to hand these uh, pages off to Richard in person, or you had to, to mail them off in, in post? Um, in person, I think we were living, I was living in London, and he was living in Reading, and we used to meet up and play softball together in Hampstead Heath. And, and I think they were just being handed over because he would do the lettering and I would, because with, if you look at the Apex, the 2008 Judge Dredd Apex book, you'll see that all the lettering bubbles, balloons basically are stuck on. But I, I think in the case of this, um, Richard did the lettering. Did, would he have done the balloons? I can't remember. And then I, I would draw into the rest of the space, but he may have a better memory of that than me. I can't be sure. So he was lettering it, you would pencil, he would letter, you would get the pages yeah. back in ink. I think that was the way it worked, yes, yes. Looking at um, looking at these pages, uh, that was clearly done that way, because there's no, the, 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 the bubbles, the balloons, whatever, they're not stuck on, they're, they're uh, there's no, nothing stuck on here. So whoever lettered this, I can't remember who it was actually, um, would have done it first and uh, and then it would have come back to me and I would have drawn the rest. Man, it's such gorgeous pages. Yeah, I was looking at that building in the top panel. Amazing. <laughs> it's like a photograph. Amazing. <laughs> Stunning. So we got the freaks. Oh my goodness, I got to zoom in on that again. I don't know where I found that building. It doesn't look America. Where, where, do you see buildings like that in America? I'm not really too sure. <clears throat> wow. You see him in Gotham City. That's right. <laughs> oh, good. That's where you see him. Good. There we go, man. The Forbidden Planet Freak Show. Right there, panel one, two. I'll close the book again. What page are we on? We are mm. on... The intro of the Batmobile oh, okay. page. No page on the this guy. Yeah. Now, that is very much a Dick Sprang Batmobile, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I went really retro with the Batmobile. That, that wonderful thing from the Dick Sprang era, 50s. Absolutely. Um, that ridiculous yeah. long front. And uh, fortunately, I didn't have to draw it 
very often. Can't it's be not very practical. I mean, to me, that is pure Dick's fan. The, the silhouette of Batman in there is, is so not realistic. But right. it's, it, to me, it's Dick's brain. Capturing that glint of the, uh, the, the headlights like that with the straight edge, once again, you're not using white to, like, on the entire drawing? Like, like this little triangle is getting drawn by hand um, in black? Like, all this background stuff that's all just black ink? Yes, I mean, if you've got the black and white version there, yes. you'll see that I just uh, left spaces where it wasn't. You know, I just drew uh, the black bits. Amazing. There's no white on there at all. You know, it's yeah. such an exceptional comic in terms of the art, Brian. And you saying that stuff, it just, man, it you sell it even harder by, by like, letting us know that. Good. Yes a screen that I didn't even notice in the color version when I look at the black and white, and it looks like it's just like a 10% black well, screen, yeah, right, you know, right. really light. Um, man, what detail, what subtle detail. Um, I'm trying to see it myself. Um, <laughs> are, there, <clears throat> are there some parallel lines on there? It's, it's probably some kind of... It's dots. Yeah, little dots. I, I, you know, I oh, assume is it's it? the Electrotone. Um, yes, yeah. This image of um, of Batman here in the very last panel, is that an homage to the Batman Year One cover? There was a cover that was real similar to that on one of the Batman Year um, One trade paperbacks. Well, I was obviously I was very aware that Frank had done this definitive Batman. In fact, did I tell you that um, I was before I started it? I, I may have just started this, and I was in New York, and I knew Frank. Frank used to come and visit in in London. And I, I met with Frank and Lynn Barley, um, my wife, and well, four of us met up for a Japanese meal. And he asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm doing a Batman graphic novel. And he said, don't you think there's been enough of those? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was already started. So um, uh, he, I've not really seen him much since. So I don't know what he thought of it, really. But uh, it does seem excess to... Uh, yeah, more than, more than is required. Well, I mean, geez, look at where we're at now. I think that's only uh, what, D what DC makes now is Batman comics, yeah, really. Right? <laughs> Feels like it. Yeah, I think so. Well, this, this thing seems to be... Uh, uh, is, is Batman Year One... No, uh, Year One and the other things he did, Dark Knight, are they, are they continually in print? Oh, they? sure. Yeah, yeah, I think both of those two pretty much steady ever since you know it's and constantly whatever when they can rule out like a 10-year anniversary edition a 20-year anniversary edition you know it's uh quite a few of them i think i probably own year one in i don't know four or five different formats how, how can you not man and just looking at that uh that absolute killing joke it's like i'm getting that yeah i'm getting that before oh, the, the video is done i i want that script yeah i want to see the pencil pages I think you need one for every member of your family. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the other thing. Man. When you have like those Apex edition, you got a $100 book. A royalty on a $100 book, is that's a, that's a fun royalty, man. The cartoonist's Christmas is not in December. It's when you get the Q4 royalty check in March. <laughs> that's right. Like that is cartoonist Christmas. This two-page spread is something that I stared at and studied so much, man. Like I, I got this comic in the 90s when image was the big shit, you know? And just like every striation, every muscle. And the back of these legs, uh, where yeah. you're not drawing all the quads, uh, the way the ankle connects in the back of the leg there is something that 
like I study, nobody in comics knows how to draw that except except right here. So there's that piece right. that that I loved, uh, seeing the shadow on the ripped costume was something that uh, I paid a lot of attention to. And a lot of people that try to style bite Brian, I swear they use this image right yeah. here and try to capture that kind of lighting uh, and, really? and modeling of the face. Mm -hmm. Somebody once said, and Pettis often said, that I always light everything from the top left. So I don't really have to think about it. Right. I tend to always do that. Although the exception was that double lit crazy joker thing earlier, wasn't it? And maybe that's one of those effective things where if you have this reliable kind of light source, when you change it, it's a mm. it's a subconscious thing. It's subtle to people. They they don't know what's different, but that just adds to to the texture of yeah. it. Yeah. Do you remember for that uh that double lit joker face? Did you do photo reference for that? Like set up lights no. and try to figure that out? Man, no, I would always no. always puzzle over that stuff. Ed, you mentioned like image comics and stuff, and there would be they would do double lighting and stuff, and I would try so hard to figure that out and it was so difficult. It feels so accurate too, Brian, and, and it makes me like I remember um when uh Bernie Wrightson was promoting that Frankenstein book that he did, he was showing yeah. off like he would make sculptures of the Frankenstein head and shine light on it to try to get that, that stuff accurate. So you didn't do any of that kind of thing for that, just straight off the top of the head? Um, no, I don't recall using any photo reference for faces in anywhere in this. Nice. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. But you know, it's, uh, another thing, people mentioned that, uh, I guess maybe they got like a little drawing from you at a c convention or something. And yeah. it's not, there's never a little drawing. Like they said that you would like map out, it would be in the comments of some of these videos. You would, you would do that thing that artists do where like, you know, you're like measuring proportions and bi like building these faces. So is that something you do? Do you do have like a real academic approach to uh, the initial drawing? Um, I do place good drawing quite highly. I think other some other people say that the storytelling is, is the most important thing, but I would put decent drawing on a par with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do find, and I, I'm not going to name names, but there are artists, some artists who probably tell the story terrifically well, but I look at the drawing and think, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I was... I think I told you the story before, but I got a, a, at school, I got a B in art and an A in technical drawing. So I always had this uh, technical precision that I, I like to, um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I had, to, I had to draw technical drawings of, you know, truncated cones and things of that sort in, in isometric projection. So I had to learn that sort of thing. But I, I think in the case of drawing here, I'm, I'm fluffing it quite often. I'm sort of making it up. Things wouldn't really look like that. Um, which page are we on, by the way? Let's have a look. Oh, yes, here we are. Um, I don't think the bottom panel on the left is a terrific, is very good. But anyway, it's there so, you go. It's you, so you, stark and, and striking, and, and it, it's, it surprises me to hear. Yeah, that feels like maybe that's one that goes in the storytelling uh, side, you know, because it feels so dramatic. I mean, he's definitely coming at you, isn't he? And those faces in perspective, that is, that is no uh, easy feat. Uh, cer certainly in a 1986, 87, w when you're drawing this, like now you could fudge that. You could take it, use a distort tool. And if you're going to, if you're going to 
usual pen and ink. You could just print it on blue line and ink that way. You did not have mm -hmm. that at your disposal here. So that's that's very noteworthy. Now, which faces are we talking about? Are we talking about the ones in the crazy mirrors? Yeah, the eyes? yeah those, mm -hmm. that bottom pa those bottom panels in the next pages and stuff. Yes, I suppose so. No, they are pretty much improvised. I, I, they didn't need to be um, precisely drawn faces. So I, I just, I just, um, and again, look, we've got a very orange panel there. You see? Oh yeah. Um, I, I just returned him to his blue and his grey, um, because that's what a colour I think they are. He is. Yeah, yeah. In the Higgins version, the lights are still turned on, and inside that weird uh, ride. Well, I suppose if you're inside. In, inside a crazy house, sure. then I can see the argument for having everything in purple, but um, um, just from uh, a, it seemed to make it clearer to have it uh, the way I did it, but there you go. From a drawing standpoint, the, the faces as a background that you're running through these hallways of these nightmarish faces, yeah, boy, that's a great visual. And as a piece of technical drawing, as we were talking before, look at these like little sticks yeah. in perspective with accurate lighting going yeah. the, the correct direction. Yes. Yeah, I bet a lot of cartoonists would see that in a script and uh, <laughs> not look forward to drawing it. <laughs> what a tough drawing, man. The sort of worm's eye view of Joker kind of approaching crotch level, getting yeah. it's that neck like like a lot of guys screw up that part. Like, how do you put that head on top of the those collarbones? Um, but it, tur it turned out so good here. I must say the uh, the cr crotch up shot and then the, the the looking down on him. It must have been Alan saying telling me to do that. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought of that myself. I don't it's, think. There's no reliable camera angle. Like it's it's com a complete madhouse at this point. And I think that, that communicates that really well. And in fact, like wh whenever like you know there would be storytelling courses and things, they would tell you don't change the angles so severely uh, if um, you're trying to just. It, take, it could take people out of, the, out of the moment, but using it strategically at that at that level makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think. Can I can I, can I just show you the um, my coloring version of this of this bit here? There's a. I was rather look at I was rather pleased with that bit of lettering. That is my lettering there, and I, I noticed in the color that I gave it a sort of a, a glinting edge. If you can see what I mean, and then there's quite a bit of airbrushing. Not airbrushing because I'm in Photoshop here. You see, I'm right. the Joker's here, which. I don't think, I mean, that's drawing, really. I don't think, I, I can't remember how it compares to Alan's version. Brian, whenever you color your stuff, there's always a little bit of noise in the color. And, and how do you achieve that? Do you do you have some, some speckly paper that you sample or? Um, <clears throat> there is actually a tool in Photoshop. Uh, there's loads of filters and one of them is noise. And you, and you can that? You can use that, yes. Yeah, uh, I'm getting quite lazy actually. I don't always remember to do that. I think all, all those recent um, Batman villain covers I did, I, I'm not using the noise very much. But I do also have um, real world backgrounds that I've painted. You know, I've painted in the real world, um, like canvas textures and and various um, textures that look as if I may have painted them. And I just place them in backgrounds and so on. So I've I've got a, 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 a file full of textures that are are available. And for the people at home, what, what I mean by that is uh, you could have your standard computer color where you just like lay in a flesh tone and it's very precise and perfect. But mm -hmm. uh, in Brian's work, 
you will see a kind of like a speckly texture or something like that. What's the argument for doing that? Because I, I have my own thoughts about that, but but uh, what's the argument for adding that, that little bit of noise and well, texture? Well, when I first noticed that colorists were using computers to color my line work, um, it all looked very smooth and glitzy and glossy. And um, I didn't really like it. I, I, um, if you can fool people into thinking you actually done it by hand on paper, it, it always does look better. So um, that's my argument argument for that. I mean, but obviously some textures like a person's suit, a coat, will have texture in it, won't it? It won't be completely smooth. Right. Um, so you need to add a little bit of texture on flesh too, really. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm just going to show you the for comparison, the, the different kind of color, um, John's green panel and my gray one, I said. There it is, matched right up. Yeah. And, and by the, for the people playing at home, Brian is, it does look like he's using straight edges, even on those, some of that broken glass. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, whenever there's a straight line, I'm going to have to use a straight edge. Love it. And a repeatograph. Yeah. You can't draw a straight line with a brush. Yeah. And I would tell everybody, go back and pause some of these blow-ups of this spread, because I'm so impressed with like the reflections. And whenever he is purple against the green, you lose some of what the drawing, the madness of that yeah. drawing is. But in black and white or in a more realistic is that what you're showing off it here? is it is i just think like this is one of my favorite panels you know of any comic and it has no, which to, one it's the well, bottom one? bottom yeah. left yeah uh because it just captures the funhouse mirror part and <clears throat> there's yeah. a joy in the drawing there at least as a as a reader appreciating it really love that seeing the back of him um just a very cool yes. piece and it it yeah. changes dramatically with the john with the higgins color uh that particular panel you know it really it doesn't look as much like a reflection, or at least it doesn't all blend together like sort of, you know, a, a, a madhouse, yeah, if you will. Flip that page, man, because we're getting to another one that is like one of those pages that I just studied endlessly for for the draftsmanship of it, and it's all lighting based. It's 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 the tension on the cowl. It's that little yeah. piece of white that's left inside the eyelid that is skin. Yes. Uh, it's the lighting on the cowl getting knocked down on his face with that underpiece with the nose and still the lighting on the ripped up uh, part of the spandex. It feels like fabric. Like that that shirt feels like cloth. Yes, yeah, so I, I love the, the idea, Alan's idea of having him sticking his fingers in the eye sockets. <laughs> oh, it's genius because like, like I could see anybody who's like, we, we've in America just you, Batman is always there. So that would like yeah. never occur to you. To, to like no. do something like that. But you guys like be, having that little bit of remove, like, oh, he yeah. just has a mask on. We'll stick your fucking fingers in his eye. It's a great three panel sequence too, as he's yeah, trying to adjust it and the Joker's loading up with that, that uh, piece of wood behind him. It's such yeah. a great natural body language, everything. And I think this is going to be Brian telling us in the fifth panel, right above the one where he gets clobbered, where you, did you use rapidograph on, on with, with those background which, lines? on again the, um the panel this one yeah oh yeah 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 um did for, i use a repeatograph well probably i mean all those planks are you talking about all those kind of vertical planks and things oh yes well, that will be yeah there's a lighter gray value you like like it's not it's not the individual planks but it's the gray that is created um as like a shading element of those planks um 
I mean, oh, they're, God. they're lines that are a millimeter apart. Oh, God, yes. They're, they're hand-drawn. Wow. Amazing. I think, I, I, think, I don't remember having um, any zipper tone. Oh, I don't know. It might, might be because I really couldn't say. I'd have to look at the artwork, which I don't have. The other question, I mean, if that was the case, if they were hand-drawn, like you're laying down a ruler and then you're just measuring every other oh. millimeter and then drawing a line, well, like... I mean, I did have a ruler that had wheels in it, so you could um, you could slide it along and it would remain parallel. I, don't, I may have used that. I don't know. Wow. I, I couldn't be sure. I, I, I may be telling a fib here. I'm, it's either stuck on or I drew it. I can't remember which. <laughs> yeah. This, and of this... course, my, my pages aren't quite as purple. Right. <laughs> yeah, look at that. There you go. Yes, sir. Uh, you save one image pretty much in its entire, well, two images for some intense, nearly Kirby-like foreshortening. Going full, you know, like we remember you did like a thesis piece on Neil Adams. And Neil Adams would do yes. this. He would have that realistic kind of uh, figure drawing, but then he would push the proportions in interesting ways. And you save that for this moment. Uh, it, do you think... That was a script choice, or uh, you chose to do the, these bits right here? Now, which moment are you talking about here? The, the big like, wind-up punch, the and big, when uh, he hits punch. Joker on the bingo button, knocks him out the window. <laughs> um, what are you asking me again? The foreshortening on the on the fig on the fist, and the kind of the foreshortening on the Joker. It's the only time you have an extreme foreshortening of this kind in the entire story, oh, and it okay. seems like you you saved it up for this moment. Well, I mean, there isn't really a lot of action a lot of the time, is there? And throughout the whole thing, there, is, there isn't really a fight scene until you get to this bit. Um, but, uh, you know, it would have been Alan instructing me. There's a big fist in the foreground. Wow. He, uh, he knocks him out. I must say, I was very pleased with these two pages. So good. But, I mean, the, the knife fight, I think, kind of... Uh, I mean, panel one, two, three four five where he's punching him in the stomach you, you don't, can't actually see his arm can you right yeah no that's so sharp too it's a great fight scene i'm actually working on a switchblade fight scene this week <laughs> and, and uh. i may be stealing from this <laughs> this sequence a little bit it's and, and, really great though and, and brian established that that he carries his hand reference on him he's got a pair mm -hmm. but you see the little wrinkles <laughs> right there man i'm imagining you had some kitchen made dinner like a like a like a dishwashing gloves on to get those little wrinkles, because that's a that's a real piece of observation right there. Um, <clears throat> gloves are really quite interesting because um, they're a lot more interesting than. I mean, we tend to just draw our hands and then put wrinkles in them. I mean, I think I was drawing Spirit for a bit. I did some covers and some interiors on Spirit. I think he has a pair of gloves with those three funny little like the Mickey lines, lines on, yeah. on the back. Um, but if you can take the time to draw a glove looking like a real glove, you don't have to do that with Batman because everything's skin tight, really, isn't it? Well, in this era, it was. Um, so um, you can pretty much draw a hand and then add a few wrinkles. It's a great two-page spread for the costume part, you yeah. know, for the glove, for the mask, for that sense that, like, he is wearing this costume and Absolutely. let's have some fun with that costume. Absolutely. It's a funny thing that for all these years we've been quite okay with superheroes 
wearing trunks. Um, but somebody said that it was only because of Tarzan uh, that all these kind of heroic figures had to wear trunks. There's no reason why Superman or, you know, sort of pants, you know, sort of underpants outside of his pants, as it were. Um, but um, for a long time, you didn't, you know, all the all of these characters, the Manhunt, Manhunter from Mars, all those characters, they all wore those kind of um, trunks, I suppose. One of the great but, connections between superheroes and wrestling. That's true. You know, it's it's the same. Because uh, they're, they're bigger uh, than underwear, those trunks, usually. You know, like now, who knows? Everybody's drawn superheroes a million ways. But but they used to be big. They were almost shorts that, that they would all wear. Maybe it's wrestling. Maybe that's where the story came from, that um, superheroes came out of the wrestling world. Really. Yeah. Now, are we ready for the next page? Yes, or we're sir. on the next Now, if anything, this is my favorite moment in the whole book. Um, where he um, <laughs> he gets the gun out, the yes. one the same gun. It's the one that did terrible things to Barbara, um, and, a, and a and a comedy effect comes out of it. Right. And the thing that I like the most is that he seems surprised. <laughs> he says, "Damn, it was empty." <laughs> He's just out of his mind, man. Which is just another level of madness that I think actually outstrips all of the previous uh, moments of madness. And he looks genuinely crushed that the gun is empty. That third, <laughs> that third panel on that page might be the most maniacal. That might be more maniacal than that double lit reveal of the origin. Uh, yeah. he, he looks around the bend. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I mean, he's crushed and also mad at the same time, isn't he, really? That's another one of those, Ed, where you're seeing the whole white around the iris. It is. And, ah. and, and the full acting of it, of just like the body turning second by second to the, like, the amount of time between panel one and two is very close, but then he like flips around really fast here. Yes. The gun. Yeah, when he, when he pulls that gun out. And he's had that whole knife fight scene. Um, and hitting him with a plank, and then and he had a gun all the all this time. <laughs> right. Crazy, isn't it? It's also an interesting panel with Batman's hands. Yes, there, you know, because the the menace is almost coming from both directions. Right, which works well in this story, uh, and and well in that panel. There's there's Kurt, Kurtzman in that man. We looked at that corpse on the engine uh, strip where there's a there's a rival soldier in the bush and and trying to like steal the rations, and and you see those 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 elements. You know, Alan Moore would cite that a lot and as being a, uh, you know, Kurtzman in general as being a storytelling influence in comics. Now, there's a, um, a detail I've got to draw your attention to, and that Please. is that if you look at the, the last panel with the Joker there, you'll see that I changed his mouth. Ah, yeah, dude, he's got the mouth open. And somebody, I think somebody was discussing that, uh, that I've done it wrong. <laughs> and I can't remember why I opened that. And I think it's because he's just thinking of the joke. And I don't know, for some reason, I thought he would be beginning to smile. Right. So uh, a bit of a change there. One, so of the, one of several changes that I could have uh, pointed out if I'd remembered. And uh, here we have the, con the controversial finale. Uh, Brian, you must have heard the, the Grant Morrison inter interpretation yes. of, of this finale. Where do you stand on that as the creator of the work? Well, where I stand on it is that it was not in the script. There was no, no, nothing about a, a death scene in the script at all. 
all that was um, in the script that you see on the page. But, you know, there, had, there was a, a, a kind of bond kind of strikes, between, strikes up between the two of them, and he's really putting his hand on his shoulder. But somebody said that a, 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 a novel, a piece of fiction, once it leaves the author, it can then take on a life of its own. So if people like Grant Morrison thinks there's something going on in there that I didn't know was going on in there, then it's in there. But I didn't know it was in there. Yeah, that's very fair. And off the top, like, I don't remember exactly what he said. I just remember something about this is the last Joker story, Batman kills Joker. But are there any specific details he, he mentioned to, to go go along with his, his thesis? No. Just the none, silence none of the end. It was like his yeah, big thing. Just, yeah, just... Um, they, I mean, in a way, the fact that Batman has a bit of a chuckle at the end is pretty um, controversial in itself because um, he's almost kind of, um, you know, in on the the, the, the bad stuff that um, the Joker has done, isn't he? In that moment, this this kind of is the the part that kind of proves that you know, you live long enough to become the villain or, or you know, uh, jo in order for Joker to exist, there must be a Batman. You know, there's like, not a camaraderie, but there's a, certainly a yin and yang to these characters. Yes. And and they're, uh, at the end of the day, they're both sickos in their own way. <laughs> um, I mean, we do know that Alan pretty much has disowned it. Uh, he doesn't really want to talk about it and it's not included in his um catalogue of his work really is it right um and he thinks that superheroes are pretty silly um i mean i can't i, I shouldn't be putting words in his mouth because uh, he's expressed these opinions and i agree with them to some to a large extent sure I, um but I, I i've always seen the relationship between batman and the joker is quite interesting i see it as both sides of a kind of a mind you know there's the sort of um the rational, do the right thing side of uh, a human brain, and then there's the sort of desire to sort of do um, for, for chaos, really, to create chaos. We, we, a part of us would like to create chaos. Part of us would like to walk up to somebody on a bridge and take hold of their feet and tip them over into the sea, <laughs> into the river, uh, but we don't because we're just, you know, the other the other part of us. Uh, is dominant. So I, I see the relationship between these two characters, even though they're costume characters in a superhero comic, as two kind of psychological states. And and I I, I, I also see those two sides of two psychological states in uh, Judge Dredd and Mega City and all the kind of crazies in Mega City. There's the sort of extreme order versus the um, the, the the chaos. And there's something about the chaos that appeals. Um, yeah, have I gone on long enough about that? That's that's really fair. Uh, the, this page before the finale, where J Joker's acting the stuff out, that is a page of Alan Moore's script that I've always wanted uh, to to read because you see Joker in his performative way, and uh, I would love to compare that with the final art to see what you brought to the table, what he uh, instructed, and uh, my final note that I'm very happy to say, with all the Brian Bolin inking the black around the water drops, that that last panel is a photo stat. And I'm so thankful that, that you did that because there's no reason to draw that panel two times. <laughs> I'm going back to the beginning to see whether that is, whether that is true or not. Um, 
It looks the same. Oh, yeah. no, actually, it's, it doesn't. They're different. Are they? Oh, maybe not. Oh, yeah, no, I think they are the same, but they were colored. In my version here, I, I think I put a little... Oh, I know what happened. I, the first panel has a, a car headlight in it. Um, and the final panel doesn't. So it's the same drawing, but I've colored it slightly differently ah. in, the color, in my colored version. But I think you're right. Which is good, because because we might put you on that scale between Batman and uh, Joker if you if you drew that panel <laughs> two times. <laughs> the way the way that you draw with the no white, white media. Brian Bowen, yeah. goddammit, this is an amazing uh, conversation, amazing experience. Yeah, I, I got to pinch so much. I got to pinch myself. Well, I can talk about myself endlessly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I enjoy doing most. Brian, <laughs> my wife would point out to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, do, do you have some covers uh, that have yet uh, to, to, to get published? Anything upcoming that you can mention or talk about? Um, well, there are two covers I've done for the Carol Day collection that we mentioned earlier. Uh, there, there are t two covers for the for a Steel Claw collections that are out already. Um, very nice additions from Rebellion, um, collecting uh, Steel Claw stories, and I've done both of, the, of those covers as pretty much with swipes, really. In, in the case of the Carol Day, I'm. It's pretty much a series of swipes of David Wright's artwork, which I've copied meticulously. A great quite a long job really um trying to recreate exactly his lines so we'll have to watch out for that um i did eight batman covers in the one bad day series and i think i've got five of or six of them now uh, we've i've just received a catwoman one which i forgot to put my name on I, I i emailed them and said hey how come my name isn't on that cover and it was me i forgot to put it, <laughs> put it on and there are two more to go there's clayface and Raz Al Ghul, is he called? And then I did another one, uh, which is a man bat cover. I seem to be just doing portraits of villains, basically. Um, what else is there? Uh, I've just only today agreed to do a, a, another Wonder Woman cover because I think it's an anniversary of some sort. Uh, and I think the, the, the editor who I didn't know what, um, wants everyone who's done a bit of Wonder Woman things to contribute to it somewhere so i'll do that if i i feel very nervous actually because drawing beautiful women is a lot harder than drawing muck monsters sure when you um, were when you were doing the wonder woman covers uh did did you have a reliable uh model um i bought a lot of vogue magazines and there were certain models there was somebody her name was stephanie seymour i liked her face i liked her nose and uh i think i used her as there was one I think was a pretty much a swipe of her, the one with the flash on the cover, and he was eating spaghetti, more spaghetti. <laughs> um, I think a lot of the time I was just using those faces as uh, inspiration to try to make her look like that. But God, I'm out of practice. I'm, I'm not sure I can pull it off this time around. But that's what's coming up next. Uh, and apart from that, um, the, the actress and the bishop has been collected in an edition from Shift magazine, which is out at the moment. And I haven't got my copy yet. Um, you, you, you must check that out. Yes. And, and also, I've got a pictorial memoir. Did I mention that? You did. Coming out in March, they say. 
um, published, it printed in Turkey. And it's a 350-page, um, six-panel grid of photographs. Photographs, documents, very little drawing, uh, all about my life, really, through, or before my life, and then going through the 60s and the music of the time and the what was on the television and the games and, and that sort of thing, which is and it's going to be available, I hope, in March. That sounds completely different than anything I've ever heard of. Is there something? Yes, you well, that's what they're saying. That to, I, or? I, I, I mean, while I can still remember these things, um, I wanted to get it written down in case my son was ever interested. Um, so it's a thing I've just been doing for ten years just filling these six panels and sometimes um, overlapping the panels with three-dimensional effects. Um, you know, there's one of, page 100 really covers my sudden, uh, suddenly getting into, into American comics and it is completely covered in hundreds of uh, DC covers from my collection. Um, and this, and and this, you, you post some of this on your social media, right? I do, yeah. Yes. And, uh, and I, I just—I'm doing it for my own amusement, really, and also just to keep my memory going. Um, and then when the Book Palace said they would publish it, I, a, I found it rather surprising because why would anybody be interested in me? But also because they'd never seen such a thing. I mean, Dave Gibbons has got his uh, memoir coming out around about the same time, and I think I don't know what that looks like. But in this case, it's picture-driven. You know, I—I I find the pictures, and then I talk about the occasion or the time that the pictures are from. Um, so, you know, no one's ever seen a, 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 a fat book of photographs um, like that that sort of are narrated, as far as I know. Wow, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, That's very exciting. exciting. Are these photos oh, okay. that you were, that you were, uh, you've been, you've taken over the years and you've just, you've scanned them all, from, like from yeah. that time period and stuff? Yeah, I've, I've been spending days and days and days scanning in slides and trying to get them in some kind of chronological order. But I mean, the, the photos I had when I was a kid on a, on a Kodak Brownie camera, which is over there, um, you know, um, some of those go in there and then kids I was at school with, and that sort of thing. Very exciting. Yeah, Very exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Like, like, like the photo memoir, the Dave Gibbons memoir, like it's so important to have yeah. these pieces and I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're doing it. Uh, and, and it's very not about comics. Sure. Uh, um, there's only occasional references. Oh, this is when I did my first 2000 AD cover in 1977 or something like that. But it's pretty. I think it looks looks nice. And a, a lot of the time, I'm, there are even some little subliminal messages saying, you don't have to read this stuff. Just look at the pictures. <laughs> I, I got to see this. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well. Brian, thank you, thank you so much for joining us uh, on on the channel to to go over one of your uh, your crown jewels of of comics. Well, that's very kind of you to invite me.